Well, this morning we are in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, and the title of our sermon is The Sabbath Was Made for Man. Now before we begin, let me walk through our outline for this morning. In verse 23, we have our context, which is some hungry disciples. The disciples are walking through the fields uh, and begin to pluck some of the heads of grain. And then we're going to see in verse 24, the Pharisees' question, or specifically, their question is aimed at an accusation of Jesus and his disciples. And then thirdly, we're going to see Jesus answer in verses 25 and 26. Jesus is going to answer their question by asking them a question from the scriptures in the Old Testament, specifically a story about David. And then lastly, we're going to take a look at Jesus' conclusion. Jesus is going to explain what is the purpose of the Sabbath, and then he's going to assert that he is even Lord of the Sabbath. Now, before we dive in, uh, I want to talk to you about kind of a big picture uh, understanding of the, the context. When we come to the story, the big picture understanding, looking at the book of Mark as a whole, this is the fourth of five conflict stories, we might call them. It's stories where, where Mark is sharing with us how people perceived and responded to Jesus. And specifically, he's going to uh, highlight how the religious leaders in Jesus' day responded. The reason this story is important, and the reason these conflict stories are important, is they laid the foundation for us to understand why these religious leaders, the Pharisees in this uh, specific case, were so angry with Jesus. In fact, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, as, as popularity grows, we see also a growing hatred of this man by the religious leaders. Over and over again, Jesus is going to disagree with them on how to interpret the law. And he's going to do that publicly as they ask him questions in the public. And so Mark is laying the foundation that this story, specifically in relation to Jesus and his acceptance by the religious leaders, is leading to a place where Jesus will be eventually crucified by those who are going to reject him. Now let's talk about the, just the big idea of this specific story. This specific story is uh, a question about the Sabbath. But what we want to move towards, and what we want to drive at in our study of this, is, is what does the Sabbath mean? What is the purpose? Jesus is going to teach us a principle about the Sabbath, uh, and then we want to end at some practical applications. Specifically, what is the ultimate application of the Sabbath, or understanding of the Sabbath? And then what does it mean for every day? Now, let's get into the text. Let's start with verse 23, and I'll read verse by verse. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields... And as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. So we know specifically that the incident revolves around on one specific Sabbath. We're not given the details. Jesus' disciples are walking with him, and maybe they're walking to the synagogue. We don't quite know. We're walking away. Uh, during these days, there's no public transit, and everybody would have been arriving at the synagogue if they're going to worship. Jesus and his disciples would also worship at the synagogue. And they were more than likely walking on their way to the, the synagogue. And it appears that probably one of the winding ways that people could take as they all moved towards where the synagogue was, it was passing some fields of grain. It would seem like it was barley or wheat. And this is where the context that shaped the story takes place. 
It looks like Jesus' disciples simply grabbed some of the grain with their hand, the wheat or the barley, and they would have rubbed them between their hands, and then they would have eaten the seeds. And I want to point out to you just one thing about verse 23, and I want to point to Deuteronomy 23, verses 25, because what the disciples did was specifically allowed by the law. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 to 25, it says this, If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So the Jews actually had a law for this, what the disciples were doing, what they had done. And that was, if you walk by somebody's standing field, and it was harvest time, you could take some of the grains and eat them, just like you could uh, walking by a vineyard. You could take some of the grapes, as long as you didn't take them and, and take more than you needed to satisfy your hunger. And that's really important to understand for the context or for the rest of the story. Let's move to the Pharisees', Pharisees question in verse 24. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? As I mentioned in the outline, notice that the Pharisees' question is really more of an indictment or an accusation, specifically against Jesus' disciples, but by inference, Jesus, if he's allowing his disciples to do this. And what they were suggesting, notice they said they are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are specifically accusing the disciples of breaking a Sabbath law. Now, that gets to an interesting question. If Deuteronomy says that what they did was allowable by Jewish law, why is it that the Pharisees are saying this is strictly forbidden? The answer to that question we'll get into a little bit later, but it's, it comes to a question of the oral law. The oral law uh, eventually became written down in what's called the Mishnah, and we'll talk about uh, specifically some of the teachings of the Mishnah and how the Pharisees held those in high esteem, how they followed those, uh, and even taught the people, religious systems of following these laws. Now, before we go further, we need to talk a little bit about the Sabbath. We want to understand a little bit about the Sabbath, because it mentions they broke the law of the Sabbath. So let's revisit Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. In this passage, it's the implementation of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was uh, honoring a day of rest. Just as in when God created, it was grounded in seven days of creation, on the uh, six days of creation, on the seventh day God rested. It was to be a pattern that God's people were also to uh, take up. And six days of work and one day of rest. It becomes formalized in Exodus chapter 20. Read with me verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. 
Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, from this specific passage becomes one of the most distinctive aspects of what it was to be a Jew or to be an Israelite, and, and more specifically, to be in relationship with God, and that was Sabbath keeping. So one of the foremost distinguishing marks of being one of God's covenant people was Sabbath keeping. It was that you did honor this day. Notice there's kind of a positive and negative. The positive was that you would remember the Sabbath, they'd keep it holy. The, the prohibition was that they were not to do any work, them or their livestock or even the sojourners among them. And this is where this passage really comes into focus. Because the question regarding well, what is work is probably the most important question we could ask about this. If the Lord has declared that the Israelites or his covenant people were not to do work on the Sabbath, well, what is work? And this became one of the most important questions to God's people. And it became a question that uh, a lot of people gave a lot of thought to. And so when we talk about the rabbis uh, that preceded uh, Jesus and, and were building systems of, of uh, religious law-keeping and, and how to be righteous and how to keep the Ten Commandments, they began to implement what was called 39 prohibitions or acts that you could not do on the Sabbath. So the way that in Jesus' day they protected the Sabbath and they protected people from breaking the Sabbath and working on the Sabbath is they made 39 different laws or acts that you should not engage in on the Sabbath. And very specifically, their intention was to leave nothing to chance. They understood that by, by legislating, literally thinking of every detail and every circumstance, that they could protect people from breaking the law. And what that oral law came to be known as uh, was the Mishnah. And part of the Mishnah was these 39 articles specifically about Sabbath. To give you an idea of what some of these laws were, you might be familiar with uh, the, the phrase, a Sabbath day's uh, journey. That was about uh, one kilometer, two-thirds of a mile, and it was the limit, the, the, the limit they placed on walking distance to keep people from work. Part of the uh, other laws were lighting a candle was not allowed on the Sabbath. Starting a fire was not allowed on the Sabbath. Preparing bread or kneading bread was not allowed on the Sabbath. Sowing seeds in your field was not allowed. Plowing your fields, reaping your fields, carrying any item. You are allowed to wear the clothes on your back, but you are not allowed to be seen carrying any item. Baking was prohibited. So 39 different acts that the, the uh, scribes and the rabbis began to write about keeping the Sabbath correctly, specifically about not breaking the law of work. Now, the reason I share all that is, is that the Pharisees specifically understood Jesus' disciples be breaking the law of reaping. So in walking by the fields and grabbing some of the grain in their hands, the Pharisees were accusing them of reaping or harvesting. Now, let's get it to Jesus' answer in verses 25 and 26. 
We've seen the context, the hungry disciples walking through the fields. We've seen the accusation, and we know a little bit more about the Sabbath, and specifically what the Pharisees thought the disciples had done. They had broken the oral law. They had reaped or they had harvested on the Sabbath. Let's look at Jesus' answer, because he's going to go straight to Old Testament, and he's going to contradict their interpretation of the law with the story. He says this in verse 25. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate bread, the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. So as we noted, Jesus responds to their question with really just a question about the Old Testament scriptures. And it's to get them to begin to process their interpretation of the law. Jesus has a, a constant habit of doing this. When people would come to him with a difficult question, or what they perceived was, was a question that was difficult to answer, Jesus would reply by asking a question of them to get them to think and to process and to interact with him. This story uh, that Jesus refers to is from 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. If you're familiar with the story, David uh, has been anointed as the next king, but he's not king yet. Saul is still the king, and Jonathan is Saul's son and also David's best friend. Jonathan lets David know, my dad is trying to kill you. And so David is on the run, and he's fearing for his life, and has, he's on the run, he ends up in a place called Nob. David has no weapons and he has no food. And he asks the priest for food. The, the priest's response is that the only food that I have that I could possibly give you is what he calls the bread of presence. Now, back in these times, we, this is before the temple, this is in the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle was kind of the movable place of worship that followed the people of God. Every Sabbath, there would be, uh, in a sense, an offering placed in front of the Lord. And it consisted of 12, what we might call them loaves today, but, but 12 large pieces of bread. It could have been more of that round kind of bread that we often see in, in Middle Eastern culture. But 12 pieces of bread were laid out in front of the Lord, and they stayed there all week. They stayed there until the next Sabbath. And the only people who were to eat that bread were the priests who were holy and who were dedicated to the Lord. So the story that Jesus refers to is, has implications for how people are to understand and interpret the law. And specifically, Jesus refers to a story where when David was hungry and in need, the normal laws were overturned. The priest actually gave him the bread of presence, and people who were not normally allowed to eat this bread, David and his men, uh, partook of the bread. Normally it's set aside for only the priests. Now, Jesus is causing them to rethink and really understand what we might think as what is the spirit of the law and what is the letter of the law. And they're very different. And this is what we're going to see as we begin to see Jesus make a conclusion or application. Let's look at Jesus' conclusion in verses 27 and 28. In verse 27, Jesus says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man 
is Lord even of the Sabbath. I want to point out two learning lessons from Jesus' conclusion, because this now gives us our story set. We had the context, we had the question, we had Jesus' answer, and now Jesus is interpreting the, uh, the events for us. And the first thing that we're going to see is that we're going to see the clear purpose of the Sabbath. And the purpose of the Sabbath is expressed by Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What Jesus meant is that, that human beings were not created to observe the Sabbath. But instead, the Sabbath was created for their benefit. We might say it another way, that Sabbath is not an end in itself. The end was that man would use one day a week to enjoy God. If we were to kind of uh, picture it, the Pharisees were seeing that man's place was here, above man's place was the Sabbath, and above the Sabbath was God. But what the Pharisees were doing is they were really making worship of God and the keeping of their own Sabbath rules equal. And so they saw man here and Sabbath rules above him. Jesus is going to flip this on its head, and Jesus is going to teach more of a principle of mercy. That Sabbath is, is not above man, but man is above the Sabbath. Sabbath was a gift from God to help people enjoy his good creation and enjoy him. So let's draw out, first of all, a principle of mercy here. People are not more important than keeping the rules. And so Jesus put forth a basic principle that all of us need to learn to apply in life. And that is that human need or showing mercy should always take place over strict observance of the law. I'm not talking about sins. I'm talking about specifically the systems the Pharisees have put in place to keep people from breaking the law. To put it another way, we might say, love people more than rules. We, we might say that we are to seek what is the heart of the law rather, rather than the letter of the law. And in fact, Jesus is, it, uh, refers to this teaching later. If you look at uh, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, there, there's a whole chapter where Jesus is proclaiming woes on the Pharisees. Because he says they tie up heavy burdens and they put them on people's backs. They have entire systems where the system and the, the observing the law is actually above the heart or the spirit of the law of showing mercy and of showing love. And so Jesus, in this specific situation, is going to challenge the Pharisees' understanding of strict law-keeping versus showing mercy. In many ways, I just referred to this, but the Pharisees had gotten things out of the, the right order. I was watching a show on television the other day that re reminded me of, of how simple it is to get things out of the right order and how it causes unintended results. One of my favorite shows to watch uh, is a show about animals. It's called The Incredible Dr. Pole. And he's a veterinarian. Uh, he works with a lot of farm animals. And the, the show that our family loves to watch and enjoy some family time with is watching Dr. Pole. And it's happened more than a few times, but I was watching this episode the other night, and a woman brought in her little dog. 
And as they were giving care to the dog and trying to discern what might, might be wrong with the dog, the dog was sick, she was just gushing and gushing about how much she loved this dog. And in fact, she even said on camera, she said that she loves her dog more than her kids. And at first, I thought maybe she was just kidding. But she literally said, she said, even my kids know this. I love my dog more than my kids. She, she actually called her dog a kid. She says, my dog is one of my three kids, and everybody knows it's my favorite child. Now, there's not a one-for-one -one application between loving dogs uh, and loving rules, but here's what I see. The order was completely wrong. And the thing they had in common was not valuing people made in God's image more than rules or more than pets. We see this over and over again, but when we value anything else than people made in God's image, it, it will lead us into applications and it will, it will lead us into walking out of life that is, is not in alignment with God's good intentions. And this, is, this was set forth in the beginning of creation, when God created man in his own image. And when God created man above everything else, man was the pinnacle of God's creation. This is one of the reasons that we value life. This is one of the reasons uh, that we, we work so hard to continue to preach that man is made in God's image. Is that there is something unique, there is something special, there is something unbelievably valuable about being made in God's image. And when we begin to love systems of religion, or even pets, when we, when we get the order wrong, when we, we uh, embrace the letter of the law, or we embrace loving other things rather than people first, it's going to always cause us to, to live a life that is not in alignment with God's good plan. The second thing I want to get at is Jesus in verses 27-28 is stating very specifically who has ultimate authority over the Sabbath. Jesus says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What Jesus is doing here is he is affirming his right to determine Sabbath observance. The Son of Man was a title that Jesus would often use of himself. Uh, nobody else uses this title for him. The Son of Man was, was a title Jesus always referred to uh, himself when, when he would speak, in, in a sense, in the third person. And it was a reference very specifically to the book of Daniel and the Son of Man and the fact that one day God has revealed that the Son of Man uh, is going to appear and he is going to establish his kingdom. And so Jesus is very specifically calling himself this Son of Man. And he's saying that he is the one who ultimately determines what happens on the Sabbath. You have to understand, going back to the beginning of the big picture I told you about Mark, the Pharisees sit in this place along with the scribes of being the ones who determine uh, how religion is practiced in Israel. They're the ones who determine what kind of Sabbath laws are established and what kind of Sabbath laws are broken. But not just for the Sabbath, for all of life. And these rabbis are in a position of being able to legislate what they believe the Scriptures say. And so very specifically, what Jesus is doing here in the second part of his conclusion and his application is he's stating his claim as the authority over the Sabbath. Ultimately, Jesus says the Sabbath is what I say it is. 
It's not what the Pharisees, it's not what the religious leaders say it is, and how they understand this system of 39 laws of prohibiting work. Jesus demands the right to interpret the heart of the law, and that's what he does right here. I want to close with just some practical application. Once again, the big picture of Mark. Mark is really trying to help us understand who Jesus was, what he said, and specifically we see instances like this where Jesus runs up against the religious leaders, and eventually it's going to cost him his life. But how do we apply what we learned about the Sabbath today? I want to talk to you about two ways I want to apply this this morning. And the first application is I want to invite you to enter into Jesus' Sabbath rest, the only true rest. Now let me explain. As we finish this morning, we need to move the discussion of the Sabbath. The discussion Jesus is having about the Sabbath is really taking place, in a sense, on Old Testament terms. Yes, this, this passage is recorded in the New Testament, but Jesus has not died yet. And in the Old Covenant, we, we had a, a covenant between God and his people established at Mount Sinai. They were given the Ten Commandments, and one of those commandments was how they kept the Sabbath. And as I said before, it's what established their identity. Sabbath-keeping and circumcision were the two marks of the covenant. But when we come to Jesus, we enter into a new covenant. And one of the things that we need to do is leave behind the understanding of the old covenant and move towards and embracing the new covenant, which Jesus brought. And Jesus, in a sense, redefines the Sabbath. And the question is, well, how do we rest on the Sabbath? Well, Hebrews 4, verses 9 to 11, I want to read this for you. Because what we're going to see is Sabbath-keeping is no longer about resting from our work one day of the week. But Jesus is going to invite us into a new kind of Sabbath rest. And this is not working from or resting from our work in the fields or uh, our, our, our daily activities. But Jesus is going to ask us to rest from earning salvation and look to him in faith for salvation. Let's read Hebrews 9 to 11. It says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. In verse 11, I'll just read the first part. It says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. The heart of Sabbath keeping in the new covenant is resting from our works, resting from the ways that we pursue salvation, and finding rest in the finished work of Jesus. If we were to fast forward from Mark chapter 2, where we're at now, and look towards the, the big picture of Jesus' life, Jesus came to live and to die, to offer salvation for our sins, and he resurrected. And so when we talk about Sabbath rest, true rest, true peace, only comes from Jesus. We don't find rest in a day, namely the seventh day, that just as, as the law was a pointer to Jesus, so is the Sabbath. And so one of the things we need to do as we study this, this text is we need to make sure we don't leave our discussions of the Sabbath only in Mark chapter 2. We need to look at it from a fuller perspective, 
of who Jesus was, what he did, and the reality that he did come and give his life. And so, first and foremost, let me invite you to pursue the Sabbath rest that only Jesus can give. Next, let's take a look at just the practical application of the Sabbath. Now, in the New Covenant, we see that there was a new understanding of what the Sabbath rest meant. It meant resting ultimately in Jesus. But we still do observe the day of the Sabbath. We, I would say we have less people calling it the Sabbath day. But the reality is that each and every Sunday, we set aside a time to specifically come and enjoy time and fellowship and around the Word and in prayer as we enjoy God and one another. So my second practical application is this. Are you enjoying God's good gift of the Sabbath? Now think about this. What was prohibited on the Sabbath was work. God gives us a work schedule of, of a Monday through, in a sense, a Saturday. Uh, these days we even have more than uh, five days. or, uh, or We have less than five, six days of work. We have actually just five one day is often used as a work day around the house. But we still have the principle that God has given us a gift. A gift of Sabbath rest. It's a day where we can take a break from the normal work that often defines our schedule and our life. And we can devote ourselves completely to enjoying God himself. One of the primary ways we enjoy God is, is that we enjoy his, the church God has given us a, a church, a family that we belong to, and we're told we're not complete in and of ourselves. That none of us uh, is, when we, when we come to Christ, that we have various gifts that are for the purpose of building one another up. And so we practice Sabbath rest as we come together as a church each and every Sunday. But one of the things that I would invite you to do is examine your schedule after our church or after we gather and are you truly taking advantage of God's gift of rest? Now, I don't mean rest by meaning take a nap on a couch, although you could. I mean resting from the normal work that defines you. If you, if you look at our lives, our lives are about an endless and, and ceaseless stream of production, of, of uh, doing. And God invites us to stop doing and to just be. And in a sense, it's a step of faith, and this is why the Sabbath, the idea of the Sabbath is so important, and why it connects with the Old Testament. When, in the Old Testament, they stopped working on one day, it meant there was no food preparation. It meant there was no working in the fields. It meant on a sunny day, when you feared, I wonder what tomorrow will bring, and whether it will rain, I will not be out reaping, or harvesting, or planting. The practice Sabbath was a genuine act of faith. And God invites us instead of, of working and doing, God invites us to stop and recognize he made us to enjoy him and simply enjoy being. Being in relationship with God and being made in his image. And so let me ask you practically, what are you doing to truly enjoy being in relationship with God? Is your Sabbath being maximized 
for relationship. Relationship with God's church, relationship with God himself. Enjoy God through a walk in nature. Enjoy God by spending time with your family. Enjoy God by doing the many things that are not about producing. And just take one day to enjoy God. I want to end this morning by just inviting you to do those two things. First and foremost, if you have not come to know Jesus and place your faith in Him, I invite you to participate or to receive the gift of rest in Jesus. God has given you the gift of a Sabbath rest. On a practical note, let me just invite each of you individually to actually maximize God's gift of Sabbath. It's amazing. From creation until now, our world has been practicing Sabbath. And so let me invite you to maximize that gift and truly enjoy God, enjoy relationship, enjoy His church on Sundays. For those of you who are joining by live stream on a close in prayer, I want to invite those who are, are gathered at River of Life in the service that you will uh, move to your closing song and Stefan will pray for you. But let me close our time here on live stream together in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the stories of Jesus. God, we believe that Jesus speaks to us the truth. God, we believe that Jesus is teaching us in each and every way what honors you and what brings you glory, what is for our good. And today we ask you to help us remember the spirit of the law. What is the heart of the law and not the letter of the law? Help us embrace wanting to show love and mercy and not keeping rules. God, help us to embrace the Sabbath and this gift of Sabbath, but help us to also move forward towards Jesus Christ, which is the fulfillment of Sabbath. And it's the only way we truly rest. God, give each and every person who has had the opportunity to hear these words from you wisdom for how to know and apply and live this message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's grace and peace.